Well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Cameron. I am one of the pastors uh, on staff here at Conduit. And so if this is your first time or if this is your 1,000th time, uh, we, like to welcome, or we, we like to say every Sunday morning, uh, welcome home. We hope that you, uh, you can find a place where uh, you can grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ here and grow in your relationship with others. Uh, that you can uh, learn how to love God more fully, and that through that love of God, that you learn how to love others more fully as well. Okay, Pastor Gordy is going to come up. He has got a few announcements for us. Pastor Gordy here, um, and uh, Gordy is a pastor of discipleship and a pastor to the pastors. And so uh, he's got a few announcements for you this morning. And... Um, and then, if you would, after you're done with your announcements, if you would pray for us, and then we'll jump into the Word. Sounds good. Okay. God is good. Amen. All the time. Amen. Father God, we do want to thank you. We thank you for bringing us here this day that we might worship you. We thank you for the staff that leads us in many ways we don't even know, but you do. So, Father, we ask this morning that you would bless them, protect them, keep them close to yourself, protect their families, protect their walk as they walk with you each and every day, every moment of their life. We thank you because we know, God, that you are a prayer-answering God because you've proven that in the past. To all this we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless this church in its ministries, and its staff, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Pastor Gordy. Pastor Gordy's a gift to us. You understand that? The Lord has given us a gift, and uh, he and Gene and their, and their ministry and life among us. So we're grateful for them. And I will echo that. We are grateful for your prayers. Thank you. Um, okay, so for the last few weeks, we've been, um, we've been exploring prayer. And uh, we've been doing a little bit of theology by vote, right? Like how many, how many people who follow Jesus think prayer is important, right? And everyone raises their hand, right? And how many people who think prayer is important think that they pray enough and then no one answers or then no one raises their hand, right? We all have this kind of sense within us that prayer is an increasingly important spiritual discipline for those who follow Jesus and we have good we have we have good reason to believe that right our first uh, from the first message in the series we see that uh, we saw that you know out of all of the possible things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them to do hey Lord would you teach us to heal the sick would you teach us to um, cast out demons? Would you teach us to turn water into wine? That would be like a super cool party trick, right? Would you teach us to multiply the fish and the loaves? Would you teach us to, um, would you give us permission to flip over tables because sometimes we're angry? Like, would you, would you teach us all of these things? And, and out of all of the things that they possibly could have asked Jesus to teach them, the one thing that they did ask to be taught was, hey, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We see John's disciples 
asking him how to pray. We see you praying. We see prayer functioning in your spiritual life. We want to know how to do that more. And so um, it was obviously, one, not something that came natural even to those who were closest to Jesus. Sometimes we are, we're, we're not so gentle on ourselves when it comes to the development of our own spiritual disciplines and our spiritual gifts. We think that, well, once we had, once we decide to follow Jesus, that the things like being daily, uh, reading in His Word or, or praying, that should just be easy, right? That we shouldn't even have to try. That we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to practice. We shouldn't have to develop it. It should just come completely natural. Well, well, even those who were closest to Jesus in his ministry were like, Lord, we got no idea what's going on with this prayer thing. We need some help. We need some instruction. We need some encouragement. We see you doing it. Help us do what you're doing. Right. And so, and so we should kind of like, be a little bit, maybe a little bit more gentle with ourselves in these moments where we're like, man, I am just like so missing the mark when it comes to prayer and God must be so angry with me and he must be punishing me and I must be living in sin because I'm not praying. Well, we never get the sense from the gospels that Jesus, um, that Jesus says, Hey, like guys, like if you're not praying, like you're, you need to repent and you need to turn towards the father and you need to get on your knees. And you need to pray four hours a day. Um, what we get a sense of seeing from the Gospels is that, is that God is offering Himself, His very presence in His Holy Spirit to those who commune with Him in the act of prayer. And so at the very worst, we, when we fail to pray, we actively forfeit the presence of God's Spirit in our lives. Right? And when we forfeit the, God, the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, we forfeit the presence of the fruits of His Spirit in our lives. And so it becomes difficult to continue to walk in the presence of the Spirit when we are forfeiting the presence by failing to pray. Last week we talked about some additional, like, some additional, additional elements to prayer, right? How when we study the Lord's Prayer in week one, it kind of almost seems a little formulaic, right? Well, that mean, I guess there's a very specific way and a very specific order that I must pray or I have to pray in order for my prayer to be legitimate. Well, we don't believe that that's the totality of what Scripture says about prayer in the Gospels. We believe there's lots of things that the uh, Word says about it. And for instance, last week we talked about the... Um, about Jesus, Jesus' lessons on, on persevering in prayer. And how if there, was one, if there was one main comprehensive lesson that Jesus talked about when it comes to prayer in the gospel several times over several different parables, it would have been this. Always pray and never give up. Persevere in prayer. Don't quit. Because your heavenly Father in heaven, who is a good Father, and who... And, and, and who like we are his daughters, we are his sons, right? He is good, he hears, and he's eager to answer those prayers. So we talked about perseverance, always pray, never give up, right? We talked about boldness, about how, how we have access to God through Jesus Christ, right? We can boldly come before the throne of grace with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we talked about, how, about fervency, 
about how it's, um, we, we, we all know experiences in our lives where we've gone to a concert or when we've gone to a sporting event, um, even if it's t-ball, right? I, I know many of you moms there lost your voice in your son's t-ball game this weekend. That's cool, right? We get it, right? But we understand the concept of fervency because we are fervent in many areas in our life. We are, we are enthusiastically involved and invested in things. And we can lose our voice screaming for our favorite football team, but somehow, some way, we've diluted or distilled the fervency of our prayer life into a barely audible whisper, if it is audible at all. Right? We, we, we lack fervency in our prayers, and because we lack fervency um, in our prayers, our, our prayers remain rather fervent-less in terms of their effectiveness. This morning, I want to talk a little bit um, to you about how prayer can be dangerous. It can be dangerous for you. It can be dangerous for me. And any, anyone who sets out to say, I want to pray more, you need to know that prayer, um, prayer can be can be dangerous. I'm going to give you, uh, give you an example. A few examples. I am, I'm almost certain that you have heard this statement before. In fact, I'm going to see if you can finish it for me. You're talking with someone, they're talking about prayer, and they say, oh, you know, you should never pray for patience, right? Don't ever pray for patience. You've heard that before? Raise your hand. Theology by vote. Okay, you've heard it before. You never, never pray for patience. That's a pretty common saying. Oh, well, why not? Right? Like, where does that come from? Like, why is that a thing that people know? Why is that something that gets talked about even in uh, Christian circles where we're trying to develop our prayer life? We're trying to develop the discipline of increased prayer. Well, because it, the, the assumption is that if you begin to pray for patience, that God is going to bring into your life or cause all of these situations to occur in your life that force you into a position of having to develop patience. I mean, heaven forbid, right? <laughs> heaven forbid that we actually pursue a posture of our life of patience, right? And that we ask the Lord to actually do it. You know, uh, this guy, you know, kind of popular, um, did a few things in regards to the early church. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote like two-thirds of our New Testament, wrote this letter to the Galatian church, and in that letter, he said, hey, look, do you want to know what it's like, what the qualities of your life are when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God? He calls them the fruit of the Spirit, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? What are the things that come out of your life when the Holy Spirit of God is in you? Right? Well, you're walking in faithfulness, right? And he says this, but in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 um, through 25. 
He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, there's, against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those who live with Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful aspects of their, of their nature with its passions and desires, and now we live by the Spirit. Well, Paul, at the beginning, says, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? It's to have these qualities or these gifts in increasing and developing abundance in me. And one of them is patience. And so the, the whole idea is that when we, when we say something like, well, don't ever pray for patience because heaven forbid you be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, right? But the, the reality behind it remains the same, is that it is praying for patience is a somewhat dangerous prayer. Because we should want patience. We should be praying for it in abundance. Lord, make me more patient. Make me more gentle and loving and kind. Make me more self-controlled. Make me more faithful and good. Give me more peace, love, and joy. Like Those are things that we should be praying for, right? Give me more of who you are, Lord. Fill me with your spirit at every corner of my life. Leave, leave nothing uncovered. Let, you know, fill up every crack and crevice of my brokenness with the presence of who you are so that I am just so insanely patient with people that they actually get frustrated. See, the pathway to get from being an impatient person to a patient one is usually a really difficult one. So the reality at play here is that some prayers are kind of dangerous for us. Not because the outcome is bad, or risky. The outcome's not bad. We end up being patient people. We end up being filled with the Holy Spirit. We end up with more of His presence in our lives. The outcome is actually good and desirable, but some prayers are dangerous because they require things of us that we are not always necessarily ready to give. We have not always counted the spiritual cost to the things that we pray. And the danger about that is that when we pray those things in earnestness of heart, that God is keen to hold us accountable to them. They, these prayers, they may require that we, that we surrender heavily fortified areas of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus the walls that we have built around these corners of our lives, hiding away from both Him and others, that when we begin to pray these dangerous type of prayers, that, that, that God is internally asking us, are you ready to surrender the most heavily fortified areas of your life that you have kept me from 
and, and not allowed me to be Lord over for all of this time. They may require that we embrace a difficult decision or path that we have been trying to avoid like the plague because we know it is difficult, it is painful, it is going to cause relational strife in our lives. It is going to make us do things that in our flesh we just don't want to do, but we know, right, that if we ask the Lord to do this in our lives, that's the path to get there. And so we either ask it half-heartedly or we don't ask it at all because we're afraid that in the process he's actually going to make us do the thing that gets us there. Some prayers are dangerous because they point out or reveal things in our hearts that we've been trying to keep secret. That we've been trying to keep in the dark. Here's the things. Here's the thing, really, is that the prayers that God is most likely to answer and to answer quickly are the dangerous ones. Heavenly Father, rid me of all sin. Purify my heart. Make me more like Jesus. That's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous prayer. But it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous prayer that God is like turbocharged to answer. You want to be more like Jesus? Okay, let's go. Let's do it. See, when you start praying prayers like that, you, we, you have to be prepared to like buckle up into, the, into this, the, like the jump seat of life. Because prayers like that aren't just about making you a better miracle worker or teacher or healer, right? Make me more like Jesus. It's not the type of prayer we pray when we just want to turn water into wine, right? Not that type of make me like Jesus. Praying prayers like that is praying a prayer that walks you sometimes on the long road to your own death. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that the prayer, Lord, make me more like Jesus? I want to follow him more closely. The people that followed him most closely all ended up dying the same type of death that he did. Lord, make me more like Jesus. It means I want to be more, I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. I want to be more gentle. I want, to be, um, I want to have greater spiritual authority. I want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. But when we pray prayers, Lord, make me more like Jesus, we must understand that we are praying a prayer of death to ourselves. Death to myself, death to my sin, death to my own plans or opinions, death to my preferences in life. And the truth is, is that not many of us are brave enough to pray prayers like that and then follow through with the ways that God actually seeks to answer that prayer in our lives. You want to be more like Jesus? Okay. We are going to make you more loving. We are going to make you more forgiving. We are going to make you, we are going to make you more obedient to the Father. We are going to tear down every fortified area of your heart 
every wall that you have put up to keep the Lord out of this specific thing or that specific thing. There was no barriers in the heart of Jesus. There was no unaccessible parts that the Father did not have access to. The, uh, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. I am in complete obedience to the Lord. If you begin to pray a prayer like, Lord, make me more like Jesus, you better be ready to be all in with that because that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring death to yourself so that he can bring life to you in him. Take for example, um, the, it's the words, but it's also it's the prayer of the psalmist, right? The book of Psalms, uh, middle of your Bible, largest collection or largest book in your Bible, if you open, if you just crack the middle of your Bible open, you're going to get in the Psalms somewhere. We're going to be in chapter 139. Um, we're going to look at this short little prayer here. Um, but it's a dangerous prayer. And listen, maybe you've, maybe you've read verses like this before and you've never considered that in the reading of them or even in the praying of them, that you are praying a prayer, that you're asking the Lord to do these things in you. But like if you read uh, Psalm 139, this is the, these are David's words, right? And he says, he says this at the end of Psalm 139. Search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a picture-perfect example of a dangerous, dangerous prayer. It is, a, it is an invitation to God to do the very thing that He wants to do in our hearts, in our lives. Search my heart, O Lord, Pull back the curtains. Sweep away all the chaff. Know my heart. Test it. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You ever pray the prayer before, Lord, show me if there's any sin in my life, thinking that like, hey, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line the Lord will, you know, like reveal something to me. You know, like when I tell you, like, People ask me all the time as a pastor, how, what, what type of prayers does God like to answer? How do I get God to answer my prayers? And what my response has been like, man, you got to pray the prayers that he wants to answer. It's just, the, that's the reality of it, right? And like a prayer that God wants to answer is, Lord, show me any sin that's in my life. Reveal it in my heart so that I may repent of it and turn towards you. And so when you begin to pray prayers like, See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in life everlasting. God's like, here it is. It's not confusing. 
right? It's not hidden. It's not, it's not like, oh, we better, we better get out the spiritual decoder ring of the Cracker Jack box to see if this is the thing that God is really saying. This is what you need to repent of. This is what's in your heart that's offensive to me. No, it becomes immediately clear right now in the instant. You probably don't even have to ask him because he's pushing that into your life through his Holy Spirit now even. It's an invitation to God to do the very thing that he wants to do, to search our hearts, to uncover anything offensive, to lead us in a new and different direction that leads to life and not death. The question is, is why would we even need to pray something like this, though? Why would we need to pray the prayer, Lord, would you search my heart? Would you find out if there is any offensive way in me? Would you know me completely, Lord? Because we might be standing here and be like, hey, look, man, I know who I am. I know my motives. I know my thoughts. I know my own heart. My heart's pretty good. Like, I, I, I know me. Um, scripture is pretty clear that uh, we actually don't know us very well. We, we, we don't. Like Jeremiah says, um, Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, this is one of the versions that I like a little bit more of the NIV. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? A rhetorical question. There's only one that knows how really bad it is. Here's the reality is that no one is a better salesman for your sinful life than you are. The unsurrendered parts of your heart, the walled-off parts of your heart that you refuse to surrender to the Lord, no one is a better salesman for those things remaining in your life than you. Because we've been selling ourselves on them occupying our hearts for our whole lives. We are experts at rationalizing the reasons that we won't forgive. We are experts for, uh, for, at rationalizing why we won't stop looking at porn or why we're better than those people or why we, why we won't seek freedom from addiction. We're, we, are experts at, we are experts at rationalizing our decisions that God has clearly told to us. That's an unsurrendered part of your life that I do not have lordship over and it's a part of sin. We make and have the best excuses. And we've rehearsed those excuses so many times that in some cases, we've come to believe that they are actually true. That we, we, we are no longer living in denial. We, our heart has actually deceived us. We believe that we deserve to act the way that we're acting because of what's been done to us. Or that we can, make, we, can, we can do this over here because you don't know how hard my life is 
And so I just, I need to do that thing. Or you don't have any idea what that person did to me. I will not forgive them. I cannot forgive them. And God is okay with that. Our hearts are so deceptively wicked that we, ha- we begin to believe their lies. Isaiah describes it like this. He says in uh, chapter 29, verse 13, These people, they come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Yet, Lord, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you more. I want to grow in my faith. I want to find freedom from, from these intrusive thoughts. I want to find freedom from addiction, right? I want to live at peace with all my people. Like, okay, like, like surrender those areas to me. Let's live, let's, let's walk in forgiveness. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse us of the, of the things that are keeping us from experiences, experiencing His power. Well, no, like, not like that, Lord. I don't, I don't want to be free from it like that. I want to be free from it kind of like just because I ask. Not because or not in the process of it requiring us to actually surrender our heart to you. When we pray for God, like the psalmist David did here in 139, when we pray for God to search my heart, we are calling out. Listen, are you listening? We are calling out our own tendency towards hypocrisy and inviting God to break through the hardness of our hearts. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. We are asking God to call out our own hypocrisy of life that does not align the condition of our hearts with the words of our mouth. But not everyone, this is just the honest truth, Not all of us are always in every moment brave enough to do this. To to actually say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Find any offensive way in me and lead me into the life everlasting. Not everyone is brave enough to do that. Because some of us don't actually want to know. Let's just be honest. Some of us do not want to know what would be uncovered if we asked that question. Because then, like, accountability mounts, pressure mounts, right? And, and then we're, we're placed in a position of like, well, the Lord kind of like really said this to me and really revealed that, and I pretty much just said no. I said, I love you very much. Let me warn you, that is a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be. Part of praying dangerous prayers is actually the process of asking the Lord for the grace and the courage necessary to pray the dangerous prayer. It's like you kind of got to pregame the prayer. Pregame the dangerous prayer with the prayer of like, Lord, I uh, desperately want to pray this and mean it. 
I need You, Lord, by Your grace to, to give me the bravery and the courage to be obedient to the ways that You show up in my life when You answer this prayer. You may be in a spot of even wondering now, well, what are those kind of what are those areas of my life? Maybe what are the areas of my life that are walled off, that I've uns- that I have not surrendered, that I've re- that I've kind of refused, um, that I've kind of refused His lordship in my life. You know, sometimes the Lord speaks to us uh, very clearly through other people. In fact, that's a primary way that the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through, the pe- through people in our lives that have the Holy Spirit and that love us. And what you may have noticed in your own life, this happens in my life quite often, right? I have a handful of people that I, that I um, just like, by, by, by virtue of the equity that they have earned spiritually in my life, you know, like if they say if they see say something that they see in me, it's like it's hard as it is to hear it and to accept it and receive it. It's like you know, they're probably they're right. You're right. Okay, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to accept it. I don't want to receive it. But I know that you love me. I know that you love the Lord. I know that you're praying for me. And so if you say, "Hey, Cameron, you know, uh, like I see this kind of consistently." This attitude or this thought or these words or this pattern that's coming out in your life, I, I'm, I, I see it. And like, what do, you, what do you think about that, right? Maybe you have noticed in your life that there are a few things that seem to continue to pop up that either you recognize and that you quickly rationalize and excuse and or other people consistently point out to you. Are there people in your life that love you and that have godly character that have consistently said the same things about you? And here's the thing. Are you generally pretty defensive about the things that they say? Cameron, you, you seem to display like over a period of time kind of a pattern of anger. I am not <laughs> angry. Okay. Immediately when something is said, there's like this, this ref, like it's like a reflex. You can't even help yourself. You can feel it inside of you and then it just comes up out of your mouth like you can't even stop it from happening. Immediately defensive and and reflexive about that. You can feel your blood pressure rise, your flesh start to crawl, right? This anger inside of you or this defensiveness begin to rise up when something is said, right? Listen, that's a um, Holy Spirit warning sign, right? If I could put a neon Holy Spirit warning sign above my head, being like, eh, 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 warning, 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 that would be the moment, right? Someone that I love, 
that has godly character, that I know loves me, and that I trust spiritually, says the same things that other people are saying about me, and I'm feeling a little bit defensive about what they're saying, it stands to reason that the Holy Spirit, the holiness of the Holy Spirit of God, is coming at against an offense against the sin that's in my life. And I'm not feeling defensive because it's wrong. I'm feeling defensive because the holiness of God is offending the sin in me and wanting to get it up and out through Jesus Christ. But listen, those people who continue to say those things and that you trust them and you know that they're following the Lord and that they have the Holy Spirit of God and that they love you, they are probably right. And your stubbornness to listen is indicative of a heart that is unwilling to surrender to God. Proverbs says that the way of a fool seems right to him, but wise men listen to advice. The psalmist says something very similar in Psalm chapter 36. He says, In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouth are deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Why do we need to pray the dangerous prayer of, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart? Find out if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting because in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That the, that the, that the content that our hearts are deceptively and deceitfully wicked, who really knows how bad they are? The words of Jeremiah. A dangerous prayer to say, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Because it requires us to deal with the offense of our sin to the Holy Lord that we're we're asking to surrender to. Another dangerous prayer. Here's one we pray a lot. Um, this this um, This is so quickly and often prayed in our prayers that I'm... I have become convinced that we do not stop to count the spiritual implication of praying this prayer. Lord, um, your will, not mine. Whatever be your will, Lord, not my will. Lord, I just want whatever your will is, Lord, for this situation That's what I'm praying for, Lord. I just want your will in this situation. What we often actually mean is, Lord, I want your end goal, but I want my process to get there. I I, want to get to your end goal of the thing, but I want to determine my own steps to get there and my my, my own pathway and my own timeline. Your will, Lord, but my plan. Because if we take the Scripture serious and the life and words of Jesus and the life of words of the Apostle Paul and the life of words of James, the brother of Jesus, then listen, we have to come to a conclusion that sometimes the prayer 
Your will, not mine, includes significant hardship, trial, pressure, and pain. Probably the hardest and most dangerous prayer and question, maybe question to ask yourself is, are you willing to pray the prayer, Lord, your will, not mine, if his will includes hardship? If his will includes pain? Well, you're, you're telling me, Pastor, that the will of the Lord would be that I would experience hardship? That I might experience pain or a trial? Uh, yeah, that's actually exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. I mean, we, we need not look very much... I mean, like we have... The, the Scripture is replete with examples. That the will of the Lord to accomplishes the purposes and the plan of the Lord, often takes us through the most painful experiences that we have ever had, ever. I can say, not, not like, with, with a high degree of confidence, that the most significant things that I have ever learned about the Lord, the most significant moments of experiencing God's presence in my life have been through the moments that have caused me the most extreme pain. It has been the long road of suffering that has produced the eternal weight of glory. In Jesus' life, this is perfectly, this is perfectly true. He, he prayed his own, your will, not mine. But man, Lord, if there can be another way, this pain, this trial, I would like to avoid it if I could. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 44, then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. But like, I thought that doing the Lord's will all the time was just all about like mountaintop experiences of joy and jubilation and like just energy to do the right thing because, hey man, I'm doing the will of the Father here and so it's all good all the time, 100%. Well, Jesus was more perfectly aligned with the Father than anyone ever in all of human history. He was in the midst of the culmination of his ministry to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he's like, bros, I need some help in prayer because I am sorrowful and scared to the point of death. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. Posture matters, remember? Talked about that last week. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could your men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. This is Jesus saying, Hey, Lord, your will be done even if it means my death. He was willing to pray the dangerous prayer of the will of the Father over top of his own personal comfort. Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I want. No matter where it takes me, no matter what valley I have to travel through, even if it takes me to the very point of death, which it obviously did, that's where I want to go. Jesus warned his disciples all the time in his ministry that, that, that the life of following him was not a life of pure and like unhinged jubilation at every moment, in, at every step, right? It says in John chapter 16, I think it's verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. James, the brother of Jesus, opens up his whole letter, his whole epistle, his like, Peace to resistance with this. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance, listen, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Lacking nothing. I want you to hear this really clearly. If we pray only for protection from trial and hardship, then we rob ourselves of future maturity. Lord, let it be your will, but not the hard will. The easy one, okay? Lord, I want to do your will. Your will, Lord, not mine. But can we make it the, jo- the gentle and soft road, please? Not the narrow road. Not the narrow road. I would like the wide road that leads me to the good place instead. If you're taking orders, Lord, I will take the easy life. And what James says is that if we don't allow perseverance to be developed in the midst of the pressing of our faith, then we will forfeit future spiritual maturity. It'd be like, it'd be like um, me being 40 years old, being like, you know, um, I think I'm just going to start drawing on my 401k now. Borrowing from the future in order to kind of meet a need or a desire in the present, right, is not a wise idea financially. Neither is it a wise idea when it comes to walking through hardship and trying to escape the difficult thing, but we end up forfeiting the maturity that God is developing in us through the current thing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, this is a really significant portion. We're almost done, I promise. Stick with me. Is it warm in here? Or is it just me? 
Okay, it's hot. Well, you know, listen, okay, pause the sermon for just a second. If I turn the air conditioners on, you all yell at me that it's too cold in here, right? If I keep them off, then we all sweat through our shirts. So I don't know, like, bring a blanket, okay, for the next few months, because they're going to be on. Got it? Okay, unpause sermon. Here we go, Matthew chapter 16, right? Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and listen, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, bless his heart, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. I shall never let this happen to you. What do you think Peter was saying here? Lord, uh, I'm not sure what plan you're on, Jesus, but I'm not sure that suffering, especially unto death, is any plan that God would have. And I'm not going to let it happen. What does Jesus say to Peter? Well, he's not very sensitive with Peter here, right? Um, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And listen this, listen. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The things of men was to avoid the pain. The thing of God was to embrace the plan and will, even despite the pain. How do we know that? Well, we know because of what Jesus then goes on to say about the pain and about the walk of all those who follow him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, listen, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Well, take up the cross, that's like a great thing, right? Cross is like a symbol of comfort for us and forgiveness and and life. I mean, I got couple crosses like i got the cross tattooed on my body for goodness sakes like it's a symbol of life well when jesus was saying it and when he was telling peter this the cross was not a symbol for life the cross was the was the universal emblem for what death execution and so when jesus said it to peter he was not talking about some comforting um, some comforting image that would, have bought, that would have brought comfort to Peter and his disciples. He was telling Peter, hey, look, if you want to follow me, you, you're going to die. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? Peter is rebuked for wanting to avoid the pain of losing Jesus. And Jesus said, finding life in him is about losing life in you. Pick up your cross, not a cliche for a canvas on your wall. It's a call to come and die to ourselves so that Christ's power and his presence may live fully 
in us through a surrendered life. If your version of Christianity does not require you to put to death every single part of who you are so that every single part of who Jesus is may live in you, then you do not have the form of Christianity that Jesus taught. True surrender to God's will is the act of dying daily to ourselves so that we may live fully unto Him. The Apostle Paul says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers and sisters, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die every day. We die to ourselves so that we may live for Jesus Christ. This is not a radical idea. According to the Scriptures, this is not a radical idea. But somehow in the rush and pressure to make the Christian faith super appealing to a consistently flaky world, we have replaced the doctrine of the cross with the doctrine of, hey, this is your best life now. But listen, I don't, I don't want to paint this eternally fatalistic picture of life with Jesus Christ. Where it's like, we are just pawns in his game of death, and I guess we'll march faithfully unto death, right? With absolutely no presence of God or joyful spirit, right? We'll just, go, we'll just march to our death. That's not it at all. It's not that surrendering to God's will rather than our own necessarily means that hardship and punishment is our ultimate goal. In fact, we believe as Christians that any hardship we experience now and in these moments absolutely pales in comparison to the glory that we will experience and that will be revealed in our lives. Our perspective is so horribly short, right, that we feel like if we don't experience joy the day after we experience pain, then it's all been a waste, right? But our perspective is eternal. We are not living for the now. We are living for the forever. And what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, therefore... We do, or therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for on what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. If we are willing to pray the dangerous prayer and then live into the pathway of your will, not mine, we will discover that virtually every good thing in life is on the other side of what we would have avoided if we had given the choice, if we had the choice. That virtually every good thing that the Lord desires to press 
into our life is on the other side of significant hardship and trial if we do not give up. Church, my prayer for us is that God would collectively give us the courage to pray those hard and dangerous prayers that produce in us the life of Jesus. Last week, I asked you, um, or I encouraged you, to ask others around you to pray for something in your life that you knew that you had given up praying for. Right? We talked about this when we talked about perseverance, right? Always pray, never give up. But we often give up because we don't see results quickly and we can't continue in prayer. So we stop. Well, how do we keep prayers ascending to the proverbial throne room? Not the proverbial, the actual throne room of heaven, right? We ask others around us to pray for us. Pray with me on Tuesday about this. Pray with me on Wednesday. Would you pray with me on this day, this day, this day, this day, and this day so that these prayers can be consistent and persevering? I want to remind you of that and encourage you. If you have been praying for someone, do not give up. Continue praying for them. If you are praying for something in your own life, keep praying. Do not give up. We are believing God for significant breakthrough in your life and in the ways and places where you are experiencing, like where you are experiencing difficulty or sickness or pain or trial, that the Lord will show up in a significant way. And that next week or maybe the week after, whenever we finish this series, that we intend to have an opportunity for you to share testimony about the ways that God has answered prayer for you or for your family or for this person or that person as we, ha as we have been praying. Do not give up. Listen. Go like this. If you heard me when I... Say, not, not all of you are listening. It's okay. All right. I get it. All right. Um, let's uh, invite the band to come back, come back up. I'm going to uh, spend a little moment here praying over you as they come forward and we uh, finish in worship. Lord, there are very dangerous prayers that we can pray. Prayers that require things of us, Lord, that we might not be ready or willing to give. Ready or willing to do. We ask, Heavenly Father, we ask, Heavenly Father, that You would give us the courage uh, to pray the prayers that maybe, Lord, we have been fearful to pray. Prayers like, Lord, search me and know my heart. Prayers like, Lord, Your will in this situation, not mine. Lord, Your will for my marriage. Lord, Your will for my kids. Your will, Lord, for my health and my life. Your will for my job. Lord, Your, um, your will, Lord, for my mind. Lord, nothing of myself. Lord, surrendering all to You, Father. Burn away and sanctify, Lord, every part of 
of me that is not submitted and surrendered to you, Lord, that I may live in the glory of eternity, Lord, not just in the future, but now. Lord, be be my vision. We love you, Lord, and we worship you in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and give you peace. Conduit, you are loved. Go in peace. See you next week.